A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The outer sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Rurundri people. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present. Hello and welcome to the most wonderful time of the year, finals. And who knows, we might get three sets of footy finals in 2022. And I don't know, maybe I'm up for it. My name is Tess Armstrong and there is so much to discuss, so I better get some backup in the form of my footy-loving friends and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hi, I'm Nicole Hayes. Hi, I'm Shelley Ware. Hello to the lot of you. How beautiful to see your faces as we gear up towards final footy. And, oh, yeah, the return of the M, the return of the Mac. I'll put that in your heads for the rest of the day. (laughs) A big thank you before we get going to every AFLW player, staff, fans, from all the teams whose seasons have wrapped up on the weekend. What you did this season was actually extraordinary. And um, just as season six comes to an end and my beloved Tigers bow out. So today did my wordle streak. So it feels like the end of an era for me and I'm really quite sad about both of them. So I'll accept your thoughts and prayers. Uh, Before we look ahead, let's chat about highlights of the weekend just gone because there were plenty. Nick, I'm going to come to you first. Well, I couldn't go past GWS's surprising win against uh, the Cats. The Cats got off to such a great start and they've had a, um, a better season, I think, than maybe the scoreboard shows. You know, they, they were looking pretty solid early on and GWS look, looked a little like they're on their back foot, but they really stepped up, they equaled and then eventually they won quite comfortably. But I've got a single out. I mean, given that, you know, they had Beck Beeson missing, they had Elise Parker missing, no Chloe Dalton. So it was probably an unexpected win, especially an unexpected comfortable win like that but gosh how much do we love Cora Staunton I am going to try to get through this without mentioning her age even once um which is the the Cora Staunton rule but four goals one you know she just had an impact on every aspect she had five tackles she was feeding the players I think in that final goal she might have smiled which is probably (laughs) the biggest stat <laughs> and she's just a delight. I just love seeing her play and everything. You know, I don't think we really, really understand how lucky we are to have her in our Australian sporting competition. She is a rock star in sport in Ireland. And the fact that she graces us with her presence, then comes over and slays, like hats off to her and more Cora Staunton, please. And hopefully she'll be able to play this season in August, even if it doesn't <laughs> align with the usual uh, expectations. I haven't been on a long haul flight for a long time, but it feels like it would take the amount of months before the next AFLW <laughs> season just to get over there and back. So she should just do a round trip. Julia, what took your what took your fancy? Ah, uh, well, I attended a live <gasps> AFLW match. <gasps> Very exciting. It was my first for the season. I apologise uh, to players that I haven't got there earlier, but, you know, newborn slash uh, Omicron meant that I've stayed away. But I managed to get to the Carlton-Melbourne game at Casey and for whatever reason I think I was the lucky charm in that the weather was <laughs> pristine. It was beautiful. It was a lovely early autumn, late summer's night. There was music playing as I came in. It was just 
fantastic vibe there. There was a great crowd. And then, of course, the game itself, a one-point win to Melbourne. I did sneak into the Carlton family and friends uh, section (laughs) where I spent the whole time going, look, this is my best scenario because kind of I do want the Blues to be competitive, but ultimately I want a Melbourne grand final. So I don't want them to win. I don't know if you should say that next to players' parents, but but I stand by it. And just a fantastic game. And it, it does show you that there's still an argument to have a longer season because Carlton have really got into their groove over the last five games and if they could continue uh, building they'd be playing such better footy because they just have had such a slow start to this season but a fantastic game at Casey. It was it was an absolute ripper Shelley. Well of course I don't think we can go past North Melbourne's Ash Riddell you know breaking the league record of 42 disposals she had 15 (laughs) contested possessions nine clearances I mean three of them were from the centre seven marks five inside 50s literally one of the best individual performances we've seen at this elite level and it was just fantastic to see but what I do love and I'm just always a bit of a sentimental old full is that I loved that on socials the teams that didn't make it into the final series we saw their players actually reaching out to the football community and saying thank you thank you to the fans the staff the community just for being loyal and being a part of it and showing their respect it was gorgeous Mm -hmm. It was so beautiful. And I think Ashradale, like 42 disposals in a men's game is like 500. So really, um, actually a ridiculous effort and good for her. Sarah Black did her numbers and it was, I think, uh, Tom Mitchell, who's got the leading stat in the AFLM, uh, his is 56, I think. His is, he had an average of like one possession every 2.5 minutes. (laughs) Ashradale had one every 1.1 minutes. So expand that out across a game and that's pretty amazing. But did you know she's not going to play this week? Because she went to hospital with leather poisoning? (laughs) (laughs) wow we should end the pod here because it actually doesn't get any better than that well she's got lots she's got kids around she's gonna work on her best (laughs) workshop her material on the pod and then take it back to the kids i love it for me i was the same as you julia i actually got along to a game in Ballarat on Sunday to see the lions and the dogs and it was a stunning day just ridiculously beautiful I couldn't get over how nice it was to be in a completely one-eyed crowd but also a one-eyed AFLW crowd so like everybody's super cross but still supportive it's a wonderful vibe and you really don't get that there's still not a lot of anger in the crowd even when decisions don't go their way they were super cross about the umpiring but then when the umpires came off everyone gave them a big round of applause so I was like right this is delightful and um, a lot was could have been riding on this game had my Tigers got a win on Saturday but it didn't matter it wasn't meant to be the dogs still gave it a red hot crack but gee the Lions are good like amazing to watch how cohesive they are the systems in place they're running with a team until they just need to get away and and get that lead and get the win and they just did what they needed to do amazing and also Ash Guest cheered off cheered on by a strong you know supportive doggies crowd so amazing career and well done and well done to her so that's it. Season six, Dunzo. Finals is ahead of us. And finals week one is on the horizon. Qualifying finals are as follows if you haven't been paying attention. Saturday Arvo, North Melbourne, Ashradale Fest, uh, will host Fremantle at Arden Street. And Saturday night, we've got Brisbane hosting the Pies at the Gabba. Julia, I might come to you first. Bit of footy brain 
chat on these lineups and then I'll get some tips from everyone. So how do you see the matchup? Yeah, well, look, North versus Freo is, is going to be a really interesting one. Both of those teams, I think, will have felt quite hard done by by the system over the last few years. You know, North missed out on getting into finals that year where we had the conference letters when they really should have got through and Freo had their year where they were unbeaten and then the, the finals were called off. So there's a lot to prove there. But over their last two meetings, North have pipped Freo. Uh, they beat them this year in, in Hobart about six weeks ago. There was no Kiara Bowers that day, however, I'd say for Frio. And then last year, you'll remember there was a fantastic game at Arden Street where again, North beat them by one point. But what I would say to me, I feel like Frio might might have the jump on North uh, this week. Bowers will be back. Janelle Cuthbertson, who has, was an All-Australian last year, she'll be back as well. Frio are just the highest tackling team in the competition. Kangaroos are the highest disposal team. But in finals, I think that the, the sense of pressure is, is so intense that if you know that you're coming up against uh, a team that's going to tackle the bejesus out of you and you're already feeling <laughs> a bit, you know, a bit nervous around uh, finals. I think that that's going to really, that that has the potential to put kangaroos on the back foot. They're both very classy teams, but for me, I think Frio just have something to prove. So for me, it, it's Frio. I think that they've, you know, that, that game against Melbourne where they, you know, that would have really stung that game where Melbourne scored over 100 points and they had some of their stars missing. I think I think they're coming back with a with a vengeance and I think that they'll get it done. I also think they'll get the, get it done. Shelley, who are you tipping in that one? It's been an exhausting run home, but I agree. Frio, North are just going to be a little bit too short, Ooh, even with Nick. Oh, no, four and four. I'm going Frio too. Um, even though they have to travel, I just think that they've got the goods and the, with the Antonios back post-COVID in full form, um, good luck trying to stop them. Wow, excellent. Next game, Julia, your footy now matched my completely ignorant tip, so I feel pretty, like, smug about it. So Brisbane Pies game, who, who have you got there? Yeah, so this is another interesting one. The Lions... They have met once this year. The Lions beat the Pies by about four goals in round five. And over that game, it was interesting. If you look at the stats, they're pretty evenly matched, but Brisbane were just so much more efficient with their inside 50s and created so many more shots on goal that they had a really comfortable win. In terms of, you know, the the stats of the teams, they are pretty even. Brisbane are just very clinical and efficient. They don't, you know, they don't hog the ball. They don't have a particular kick mark game or whatever they're just very even they can switch into any style that they need to in order to respond to the opposition and they have a very even list they've got grunt around the ball they've got strong defenders and then they've got a very dynamic forward line where they can do the set shots but they they've also got Hodder and Dimi Farkasen and um, those guys who can snap goals on the other hand we've got the Pies who again they've you know next bunch of players those kind of early 20s players have really come into their own this year and they've had to because of you know Benici, Brianna Davy coming out of the side with ACLs. However, I do feel like Brisbane are just a bit classier. They're obviously coming off a premiership year. They do have the grit there to, to get it done. And you'd think at the Gabba on a Saturday afternoon, you know, I think I think it's Brizzy. <laughs> Brizzy for me, Shell. Yeah, Brisbane reigning premiers for me. I'd love my pies to get up. My pies loves, I should say, and I hope I'm wrong for them, but too many midfield injuries so yeah Brisbane the fact that they finally got us like a proper break and they get to play at home for Brisbane like it'll be a 
cakewalk compared to what they've been <laughs> faced with this season. But I'm sure it'll be a challenging game. But, yeah, it's hard to go past them. Oh, it's always. We'll get a full uh, preview of the finals. Teams will have a, we'll have a result from the Eloise Jones Tribunal, Tribunal, incident, you know, meeting today on, on Friday in the fifth quarter. So look out for that. But as I mentioned, this might not be the only AFLW final season we see in 2022. So let's get to it. I think it's time to melee. While it's entirely unofficial at the time that we're recording this, our collective footy minds have exploded really in the last fortnight with reports that the AFLW season might begin in August. Which August is that, you ask? 2022, 2023? We don't know, actually. All is still to be revealed. And I must say I feel torn because I actually love the idea of an August start, spring footy being finished by December, a summer break, missing footy. What a wonderful concept. And I totally hear all the criticisms as well. And there's been a lot of anger. And partly that might be a, a symptom of years of the footy community and AFLW feeling like there's new rules, new teams, new seasons, and they're just lumped on us with, without very much consultation. So I did feel like this week in my own head, I was very high school debating team. I was like, right, this is my opinion. And then I challenged that when I was having a shower and then I was driving and I challenged that. And there was a pro and a con and it was all sorts of nonsense. So I thought this week, I'm going to pull out a couple of major issue titles out of my woolen footy beanie, which for some bizarre reason I'm wearing in summer, and we'll just go at it and we'll just see where we get to and see if we can represent the many varied opinions out there. So first out of the beanie, clear air. (laughs) This is a big thing that comes up all the time. What do you see, Shelley, as an August 2022 or beginning? How do you see clear air? I just don't think there is any clear air left in this world. I think that we're always jammed. We're always packed. I think we, it's not, no such thing. There's always going to be something. Someone's going to think of new, another concept to plug in. There's going to be something on broadcast, a new television show, some reality show, anything. Clear air doesn't happen for me. Yeah, I have to agree with Shelley. I mean, even just on the sporting calendar alone, it's just back to back in this, especially in this country. I think there is the the value that the AFL-M finals can bring to running alongside the AFLW. See how the AFL-M is running along the AFLW for me rather than the other way around. Uh, but I do think that does have that potential to open up a whole new audience, people who perhaps haven't had a chance to get to it just because of the summer nature of the sport or maybe even their own quiet biases. But clear it doesn't happen, but I, there is that potential, I think, to leverage off the AFLM audience. I think just clear it to me prioritises the broadcast calendar over any other schedule for any other any other stakeholders or resources in this. So it doesn't really talk about clear air for the grounds, whether the grounds have cricket pitches in them. It doesn't talk about clear air for the staff at clubs who have to work through their summer or have to back it up after a men's season. So it's shifting, I guess, the idea of what clear air we're actually talking about. And are we talking about that this is actually a good time of year for staff and clubs to be putting on their women's team in August when they're already up and running with their men's teams and they can just get that going alongside of it. The men's teams will wrap up in September and then they can continue and then they'll actually get a summer break. But, you know, if I think back to my time at Carlton, the year 12s, they thought January was clear air because they finished Mm -hmm. school in November 
They rocked into um, an AFL preseason. They were getting paid twenty grand a year. They thought it was amazing. And then by the time they <laughs> might have started uni or TAFE in March, they were almost done. So for them, that was clear air. So to me, it's clear air is really just saying the broadcast is king, and that's all we care about. Where now we know that the toll on people. <laughs> And actual resources has been huge and that's maybe where we need to shift our mindset to. Love it. I agree with all of you. I also think, though, even if I was, you know, devil's advocating myself and, and clear I meant clear from other sports, I actually think it is a good window because when men's footy wraps up, I do feel a bit of a chasm before cricket summer begins, before WWE, I could watch that anytime, <laughs> WBBL begins. Um, we, we need clear air from the wrestling. But I, I do think that is a good window where there's still a bit of appetite for footy and it ends. Next out of the beanie, a big issue and a big talking point this week, and that is process and proper process and consultation. Nick, I might come to you in a minute because I think you've actually had a, had a chat to the AFL. I will say off the bat, they need all 18 clubs approval to have this happen. So there's been a lot of anger in the community, like the AFL is just going to make this decision right now and that's outrageous, da, 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 and we'll get to all of that. But they need all 18 clubs to decide, and you have to believe in your own club, right, even if you don't believe in the institution at the AFL. You have to believe that your club is consulting your players, your staff, your coaches and trying to find out what time works and so I don't think that they would say yes to this and might not even happen if the clubs don't see it as a good thing so maybe that is what proper process actually looks like when all clubs are chatting chatting to their people and come back to the table I don't know Julia yeah, I feel like process has kind of gone out the window really you know I've been quite shocked this year that I've seen so many more players of of all different sorts you know marquee players or players who are middle of the road um, just taking to social media with their grievances and we never saw that um, in previous years and I know that if that ever did happen that they'd get wrapped over the knuckles with it from the club or from the AFL. So it's been an interesting one. I, I feel like the players are at their edge in terms of process and perhaps they feel like they're not part of the conversation officially, whether it's with the AFLPA or with the AFL. And so they're going to social media with their grievances. So I feel like process is, I don't know, it doesn't feel like they're, they're, there's anything proper happening behind closed doors. Well, I actually got to speak to Nicole Livingston on Broad Radio this week and I asked her about the process and what was going on. And she said that it hadn't officially been announced and it was something that they were still working on. So that feels like either what a leak into the media or, you know, we're having conversations about things that are happening behind closed doors and somebody has a grievance that may be getting to the media. I'm very, very unsure about how that got out and I would never, never know, but it tends to happen a lot with the AFL. There seems to be a process that happens and before we know it, we all know about it before the announcement. So there's something needs to be tightened up in that ship, I would say. Process is is very, very important. You know, voices need to be heard. And and that's what I think we're seeing now, Julia, is that people who haven't been a part of the process are now saying, all right, I've had enough of this and I'm going to speak up about it. And I think that's been the difference in the change. So hopefully there's some learnings for the AFL in this change. Not that I disagree with the August, it's just their process probably needs to have some little looks and sees and listens. <laughs> Some tweaks in the off season to the tweaks. process. They yeah. can get a little, yeah, that's right, strength and conditioning of the process. Um, no, I will also say that on the leaks before I get to Nick, sometimes I, I feel like there are traditional leaks and then I also think sometimes with footy, the footy world is very small. People who already know each other and they might have said something like, oh, have you heard they've chatted it, they've canvassed in August and then someone says it on air when it might not even have been an official leak. It might have just been something that someone said they heard somewhere and then all of a sudden it's a self-fulfilling 
thing because then there's a hundred articles about August uh, and then August is the time that everyone's talking about and and, and away we go. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like we think, oh, they're leaking to the media and it's just the media first, but it's, I think it's just much more organic than that, which isn't necessarily good either because you don't want to read about your, your future if you're, a, if you're a player because someone had a chat o- over golf or whatever. But I don't know. Nick, you've actually had a chat um, with the league today what did you find out yeah I also spoke to the AFL directly and I have concerns with the process because the media shouldn't know before everybody else and it shouldn't be something that a player sitting in a commentary box next to you know a season journal like Callie Underwood hears for the first time as part of a, a by the way commentary comment but it does seem to happen quite a bit as you said Shell the process itself actually is quite formal in that they had to approach the commission first to even canvas the idea and to get the conditional approval. That approval is based on buy-in from all 18 clubs, as as we mentioned. Obviously, that always creates the possibility of there being leaks. I think it is not even close to being a leak. I think it was absolutely something they made a bit of brouhaha about to make sure the right people heard as much to, yeah, put that um, thought cloud up in the sky and see how it, which way it landed. I think the biggest challenge with that is that the players are often caught on the back foot. And I don't doubt that they're, you know, I am aware that players individually have been contacted, certain players, not necessarily just the marquee players. And there was consultation quietly, unofficially um, behind the scenes. But the challenge with it is it's not systematic. It's not Uh, as we said, the process isn't followed in a way that is logical or makes everybody feel included. And the message that comes across at the end of that is always, this is a reaction to something, a last minute or an add-on or this You know, the notion of being flexible is one thing, but the idea of of reacting to things and not planning in advance, it makes the AFLW feel like something that's not a priority if they haven't even planned, you know, for the next few years in advance. I think the players feel that. I think the players are aware that if they're the last in that conversation, in a conversation that already feels a little bit like it's, it's taken everybody by surprise, then it just exacerbates that that sense that this is something that's not planned, not structured, and there is not due process being followed. I, I think the AFL is trying to do the right thing. I th- uh, with Shell, I agree. I think August is the right time for it. But I just feel like they need to work on how they communicate their ideas and, and how far in advance these ideas are flagged. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Katie Brennan and you're listening to the Legends from the Outer Sanctum. Another issue in in the wool and beanie, player retention. Now, this has been a big talking point, to be honest, all season, whether or not these players are done over it, all this kind of stuff. So, Shelley, what what do you think August means for player retention? Look, it's a big problem, I think, but sometimes with change comes big problems, you know, especially when it's like an immediate change like this. So we're looking at semi-professional athletes for a start, you know, a lot of them have taken their holidays from work 
So they have no more holidays. So they're going to play and not get paid for work. They're going to play and get paid the schmittens that they do get paid. Like it, there's, We've got to find that balance with our athletes. We need them to be professional athletes for these kinds of changes. Should they be compensated for this? Should it go to individual needs? Like we should probably be looking at how we can help them financially. I think our pool is quite weak. Um, it's not as strong as one would like to make such a change at the moment. But I also think, when are we going to do this change? And hopefully, like what you said, Nicole, earlier, it's going to be a change that we stick to. You know, there's a lot of shifting around with this AFLW. And I feel like if we, we say, okay, this is it, let's lock this in. No more trials. Let's let's stop now and make this work. We've got players, you know, that are thinking of retiring, like Daisy, is she going to retire now? We've got older players. There's so much to think about, so much to do, but the semi-professional angle really bothers me and they should be compensated. Yeah, Shelley, you mentioned the talent pool and the challenges that that faces. You know, we we have four new teams and we have to go wider and deeper to be able to um, field a competition that will maintain the standard that we're getting used to. Um, And I I do worry that this shift in to August this year, but perhaps ongoing, will be really difficult for, you know, we've mentioned the year 12 students, but university students as well, where as you go, August is when the pointy end really kicks in. You've got exams coming. Um, this is for university as well as as for year 12. And I just think perhaps with timing, it, you know, obviously you can defer at university if you have the warning to do that, if you have enough time to do that. And that does offer that, that possibility. But this is not something you can easily do for year 12. And I feel like it's sending a mixed message when the organization is encouraging players to have other lives and to have other careers and in the AFLM to ensure that they have longevity and that they you know that it's not all about football and to make them well let's be honest more interesting people and the AFLW is already doing that because that's where they start they started with the careers and the lives before the football became um, even a factor it's kind of reversing that and I really would worry about any year 12 student who who took the year off or delayed it. In university, it's great to take a gap year. I think it's really good to take some time off between the different schools or, you know, even during a degree. I don't think it's the same for year 12. I think it's really such a big part of your um, emotional development, your um, psychological development, the friendship groups, all of those things. And the idea of a young person having to make that decision at the age of 18, I I think it's asking a lot of them. Mm. And I also, which is why I would say I actually don't think players should be being recruited at the age of 18 anyway. That's one of the reasons. I think that they should be a little bit older. I think as much because of our growing understanding about head injuries and potential impacts when your frontal lobe is still very much in development as an adolescent the longer you can give a player or you know a a person the time to develop and to for their brain to mature before you expose them to that elite level of contact sport I think the better so maybe I'm mixing up you know, too many issues, but that is an issue they have to look at is whether year 12s are even going to be eligible for the draft in the future. Julia, what do you, th- what do you say to player retention and, and how that's going to work? Yeah, I just piggybacking off um, Nick's point there, I'd say that, you know, we need 120 more players. So I think they are relying on those uh, 18-year-olds to come in. So if, you know, they don't, that that's going to create a bit of an issue. I just want to talk a bit about, I guess, the physical preparation for players and injuries and all that sort of thing. I think for some players, and we've mentioned this before, but for some players, 
August is absolutely going to suit them. For others, it's not. And for the players for whom it will suit are those that, you know, the idea of actually getting to layer another pre-season over their current fitness base without deconditioning for several months is is actually a, a big plus for them, especially coming off two years of a pretty sedentary um, pandemic lifestyle. Even though they are part-time athletes, we just know that for, you know, people have been sitting on their bottoms in their Zooms um, for, for some players who are, you know, in the season pretty fit, they'll get a month off to deload and then they'll be back at it. I think that they will actually prefer it. There are some people that have had some niggles through the season. Uh, so the idea that they'll be able to get that right and then be back on the park in August will suit them. But also, you know, we've, we've spoken about the players who did their ACLs this season and that an August start date for them just means that there's no way that they can get back. And, and that is really tough. It means that they're absolutely not going to be able to participate in the next season. However, and this is me putting my player welfare hat on, I think there is a silver lining to that because players getting back, you know, right on the 12-month mark after an ACL, Mm. absolutely everything needs to go right for them. They can't have any setbacks and it's actually really stressful for players because they have to do um, their rehab to a T nothing can go wrong and then they they're really fighting against the clock and so for this coming period they can go okay august is done i actually have 18 whole months to rehab mm-hmm. um my knee if i am good to go in 12 months i'll get to come back through my state league i'll get to play for one or two months i'll get to get back to match fitness and so we might see those players joining into august 2023 in a much better place where they can hit the ground running and i think that is a silver lining not taking away the devastation of missing a whole season that that's terrible but i think that the stress of oh god I've got to do everything right you know it's round two it's round three I'm missing out I'm missing out that that won't be there for this this season and I think that is a positive and on that I mean I know I sound too devil's advocate sometimes but there's no saying that if you played another summer season and then just say they said okay it's August 2023 and they played another summer season what about the players that did their ACL next year they would not be playing in August of the next year and that would still be devastating and and not every player that did their ACL this year this season would be playing in December or January next year anyway. So it's not as though it's a, everyone would be back on the park if we played in summer next year. And so, yes, there will always be disappointments, but this is why it is tricky to have these conversations because it's not a homogenised playing group where everybody's having the same experience and feels exactly the same. Further to our point about we need younger players and what are we going to do with the year 12s? Well, we also need older players to stay around for one more season because we've got four new clubs coming in. We need those people who might be on the precipice of saying, I've had enough. They get to play in August. They might say, oh yeah, I could do August. Julia, you mentioned Carlton playing into good form. They might not lose as much form and as much cohesiveness if they get to come back in August and they get to keep a a core of that group together. If they play in August rather than December, then maybe they won't lose as much of what they've got going on. And so they might hit the ground running a bit easier in August. Does that fly with you? Yeah, it does. And I've been very worried about, and I don't want to, I'm going to touch all the wood that is around me. You know, I've been very worried about, you know, the the, the poaching that sp- expansion clubs mm-hmm. are going to do. We just know that they will, or not poaching, the drafting, trading, we'll say it a bit nicer. <laughs> um, but if I was a Carlton player and I'd, we'd started the season poorly and, you know, Hawthorne and Essendon were coming at me with these great contracts, I'd be like, oh, I'm out of here. But, you know, you finish the season strongly and then you know you're going to be back in a month to keep going. 
I might go, hmm, shall I hang around here where we're actually on the up or shall I go to mm. a club where we're going to start from scratch and I know we are going to probably lose predominantly <laughs> for the next few years. <laughs> maybe I'll stay, you know, better the devil you know, maybe I'll hang around here. So I think that it will hurt the expansion clubs in terms of how attractive it is now for players to move mm. because, you know, we've just seen over the history of expansion clubs that they do start off being a bit weaker, you know, not winning a lot of games. And so players are going to have to leave a club where they're around about, they might be in finals, they might be in finals contention the following year and actually say, no, 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 I'm going to go to a brand new club where I don't know what I'm going to face. And I have to do that really soon. Can I find a Sydney rental in a month? Probably unlikely. As we mentioned before, a, a lot of players are, are speaking out and saying they're not for this and stuff like that. But who knows what those what decisions those players are trying to make internally about whether they stay at their club or move on and now they don't have the time to make those decisions. So, of course, it comes as a shock. One overriding factor for me, particularly about player retention, I mentioned it before, but, but about the heat and about summer, and I just don't think it is, is responsible of the league to, to ask these players to play in this heat ever again. You cannot be playing this game in 40 degrees in the middle of bush like what if it next year's not not la nina it's a bushfire season and the entire east coast is just full of smog and smoke and we say to them oh sorry can you guys run around in that you you can't have that it's i think a, a huge safety issue to be playing in the summer and so it brings you to my final question august 2022 or August 2023, because I've seen a bit of discussion about how people need more time. Would I want to go from now, so the next couple of weeks is the last AFLW I'm going to see until August 2023, or am I happy to take the take the hit and play in August 2022? And Shelley, imagine you're on the AFL Commission. I actually hope you are, by the way, just an FYI, I'm just putting it out there. But I say to you, AFLW August 2022 or August 2023 taking into account a whole heap of what we've said where would you where would you vote this year I just take a hit I'm a one of those people that'll just do something go for it but I completely see why next year would also be viable but I'm not part of a playing group that has a sore body that can't get money for my family there are so many things that we have to take into account so I think we should be talking to people who have the lived experience and asking them Commissioner Kira, what do you think? I'm going to say August 2022. But if I'm really in the commission and I'm not Julia, I'm just a commissioner, <laughs> and I've read that fantastic Sam McClure article during the week about um, gambling and how much money we get as the AFL from gambling, I'll be like, fantastic. I'm going to also combine this person, Julia Kira's idea about a big bash fixture and I'm going to have them <laughs> playing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, during August and September because I know if there's one game a night, that's when we make our most gambling money. So I am a genius. <laughs> if I was actually Julia and I had a sense of values, um, <laughs> if only, <laughs> I'd still say August 2022, but with less emphasis on gambling. I love what you said. If Julia had a set of values, like harsh burn on yourself. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Hayes, what do you think? So when did it become a binary option between August 2022 and August 2023? Let me propose October 2022 and August 2023. If I'm on the commission, I don't understand why we immediately, like it was August or December, obviously summer is out, but 
there is that there was that option of a, on right off the back of the AFLM grand final and then yes there would still be some games played in the hotter months but January can be you know for most of Victoria anyway and New South Wales can still be fairly mo- uh, mild and that would probably just be the finals and it would be a, a little bit of a smoother transition and those we would not have the issue with schools we would not have the issue with the expansion clubs being sort of hurried and it does have that potential to still kind of get the best of both worlds and it is more of a transitional year with the plan that it would then be August 2023 for the following season but if I have to choose and you're going to make me choose the official word is there is no official word yet um, but the belief is by the grand final we would know I feel like all of the momentum is going towards 2022 and why would I argue with that? So August 2022. <laughs> you can't argue with momentum. <laughs> a final note from me, if we are going August 2022 or August at any stage, one thing I'm planning, so I'm just giving the Sanctum listeners full warning before I begin, is that a full month beforehand from you know July onwards, I'm going to start tweeting Footy's nearly back. Footy's <laughs> finally around the corner. Gosh, footy's nearly back. It's nearly time in time. And then hashtag footy's back for the entire first rat week of AFLW just to see the confusion and how it might feel to feel gaslit like that when you are actually already at the football and watching the football and being told that football is nearly back. So that, for me, gets 2022 over the line because I can't wait to be so sarcastic. You know, I can't help think that we wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> ever about the men's competition. Like maybe let's just start at a completely different month. And it kind of leads into our next conversation, which might be an underlying feeling that maybe um, women and women's sport isn't as valued as men and men's sport. I don't know if that's a crazy concept. Nick, some research came out this week. What did it say? Yes. So the research was about attitudes towards gender and women more broadly right across the spectrum. It wasn't a focus on sport. Conducted by the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, released as part of the International Women's Day celebration. We're still celebrating it, aren't we? Sort of, quietly. It was uh, conducted by Ipsos and it canvassed 20,000 plus adults from a spread of about 30 countries. Basically, it just measured attitudes towards women and issues of gender amongst Adults, obviously, but um, amongst different, you know, quite different countries, some Western countries, some not Western. And in news that will be shocking to all of us, it turns out that Australian men have some of the most sexist views in the Western world. (laughs) Did anyone see that one coming? (laughs) Absolutely shocking. What? Feigning (laughs) surprise. So some of the results across the whole sample that were perhaps the most concerning um, were that almost a third of respondents believed that traditional masculinity is under threat. I'd like to know what traditional masculinity is. Wrestling a bear is that's what I'm going with. (laughs) You can't wrestle bears anymore. (laughs) Bears have too many rights. (laughs) Another one that was... Uh, rather challenging was more than a quarter of respondents believe that feminism did more harm than good. Mm, mm, um, mm. And But perhaps, as I said earlier, the, the most disconcerting factor was that Australia was regularly above these global averages um, in measuring misogyny and sexism from country to country. 
what I am going to take out of it, there was some positivity and look, it's small change, but I do feel like it's of value and worth noting was that there was quite a big difference between men and women respondents, even within the Australian context. And I know that seems like it should be obvious, but actually women have not been great in terms of some of these attitudes, Australian women in particular. And so that seems really to be changing. Some of the sort of most obvious or the biggest kind of differences were were, um, on the question of whether men have lost out in economical and political power due to feminism. The average was 19% across the world. Australian men, 32% agreed with that idea. For women, it was 11%. So, you know, we still have to work on that 11%, but that's quite a big difference. And it is men absolutely bringing our average right up. Um, the Those who believe that gender inequality doesn't really exist, the world average was 18%. Amongst Australian men, 30%. And women, it's 14%. And I think probably, you know, the questions around violence against women were the most disheartening. Uh, violence against women is often provoked by the victim. 21% oh of Australian God. men agreed with that oh. idea, 15% across the world, and 7% of women. Wow. Feminism does more harm than good. Men were 36%, the average was 26%, and women were 17% of in Australia. Now, there were some really unsettling ideas about what's acceptable online behaviour, um, which really you could just spend a whole show on that, breaking it down about sexist attitudes. But I think the takeaway is where are all the men the male allies in this? Where, where are the men? And, you know, they really need to step up. And some of the uh, authors of this report were saying that in Australia, for example, you know, the ASX businesses, they could be leaders in this space. They It, it needs to be, the change is happening, just not amongst men. And called out organisations like the AFL and NRL to, to be more active in this space in advocating against sexism and misogyny amongst men, because they're, they're clearly the ones not getting the message. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that team. <laughs> Can I say one thing that struck me with that article was the concept was the questions that were asked and actually I so I've long worked in talkback and one key tip I'd have for anyone is if if someone says something to you that sounds just like it's a line right it's a line that they've read somewhere that they haven't really thought that much about it it might be a political line you know something that a politician has said and then they take it on and they just say the line just ask a gentle follow-up question M- men's rights are being hurt by feminism then the follow-up question would be what do you see as your right that has been uh, affected by that sometimes people say you know you can't say anything anymore and you might ask what would you like to say what would what what is it that you want to say that you feel you can't say all of these follow-up questions even if it then makes people just think before they Mm. speak a little bit more or question who knows what that kind of follow-up question might actually give you because sometimes in talkback for example people might call and they've been asked to call by an organized campaign and then you might ask one follow-up question and they hang up (laughs) because in (laughs) fact they don't really want to go on air they just wanted to say that one line and then not be questioned about it at all and when in fact they were questioned about it they no longer want to have the argument or want to even really have the debate because they're not up for a debate and all of those questions feel to me like if there was one follow-up question in a, in a normal setting, if you were playing for sport with someone, if someone said it in a change room, if someone said it at work, that a, another man or another person in that workplace could say, what do you mean by that? That could actually have an, an amazing impact. Whereas I feel like sometimes we hear someone say something, go, ugh, write it off. And too many people are saying, ugh, and not 
doing a follow-up question, clearly, because we've got to help each other get better. I also say it annoys me how much we look to international communities. Like, you know, for example, we look and we go, oh, the NFL is doing this, they're doing it at night time. We should totally do what they're doing, but we don't want to copy the rest of the world and being progressive, right? We're like, oh, the rest of the world's more progressive <laughs> and nicer and less sexist than us. Let's be jealous of that and try and get better. Anyway, let's use our cultural cringe a little bit for good. Julia. Look, I think I need to go to an optometrist because my eyes have been like expelled from my head in um, <laughs> the, in just eye rolling at that. One of the things that, that that really stood out to me there was the idea that one in five men said that they had lost out in terms of economic and political power or social status as a result of feminism. Mm. And that to me is just a complete misunderstanding of what is happening in the world right now. And I know that some listeners of our pod will have listened to the podcast You're Wrong About, which mm-hmm. was a podcast that went through lots of media brouhaha's over the last hundred years and really retold those stories. You know, things like Tonya Harding, OJ Simpson, Monica Lewinsky, and how the media narrative that we were sold at the time, where there were particular victims and there was a certain something that, that might have gone on, was actually was moralizing about certain things um, that perhaps weren't true and often on you're wrong about what they end up saying is that the real culprit they say it was capitalism all along (laughs) and so with this I would say is that women (laughs) feminists are being uh, targeted as being the reason why some men are losing out or perceived to be losing out economically and in terms of power when we know that through the pandemic uh, billionaires have earned a ridiculous amount of money, that economic inequality is growing and growing and growing because the billionaire class continues to accrue money that they don't put back into society in any way. We know that in terms of automation and lost jobs and all of that, it is not because of women taking those jobs. It is because corporations and the billionaires that sit at the top are pocketing more profits and they are not putting it back into those companies and creating more jobs. They're creating robots. So, that is not feminism. That is capitalism. <laughs> Get your isms right. I'm going to the optometrist. And what makes my eyes roll out of my head and escape up the street like yours is uh, the idea that these people are like, it's a perceived political power. So it's almost like a bit Scooby-Doo, like I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you kids. Like I would have been a politician. <laughs> I would have been rich if it wasn't for those women. Like yep. I'm sorry. There's a lot more conversations to have with those people about what their plan for their political future was. Nick? There's a pretty powerful impetus, isn't there, to to blame a face, a person, to humanise the evil rather than acknowledge that the system is working against you um, and it isn't going to benefit you and and so we need to find a face or you know somebody that we perhaps already have discomfort with or mm. are threatened by in order to represent an evil that they can actually feel like they might be out of battle it allows them to sort of step away from any responsibility of their own if you ask these same questions about people of color you would get as high, if not higher, um, responses. Mm. It's about the low-hanging fruit. It's the the face in the room, the person, you know, that, that mean female boss you once had who you will cite and mm. quote forever as an example of why women shouldn't be leaders. I don't know how to redress it if people aren't even prepared to acknowledge the problem in the first place or understand it. But um, we have, Australia has been really slack about it. You know, Australian organisations, Australian structures, Australian businesses, other countries are doing better. So there is a way forward and we need to, as you say, get better at emulating those systems rather than the NFL's night games on a Monday. Shelley? Well, as you all know, I've been doing this gig for a little while now and I have seen sexism in the media, in the AFL media, and it's been quite strong, 
quite prevalent. And throughout the years, I've also noticed a change. And we can say that we see you know, more female presenters up on the screen, but we also know of the challenges that they face every day. You know, one of my favorite lines is a person who came into my group and said, oh, I watch this show every week. What they liked was the idea of the show. They didn't actually watch the show every week because they asked me if I did the weather on the Mangrook Footy oh, Show. My and that was a common thing. They couldn't work out why a woman was there to talk about football. Some men actually wouldn't work with me. Some men wouldn't want, didn't want me to comment on football. We had people leave Mangrook because they refused to work with women on the panel. You know, there's a whole range of things that I've experienced with sexism. They say it's getting better, but whoa, and I hate, hate, hate that I have to say this. We have so far to go still. You know, it's that perception. We watch our women commentators. They're cut off mm. all of the time, mm. you know. So it's like they're what they've got to say doesn't matter. When they do say something valuable, quite often it's like, oh, my God, you know, like there's a shock that something like that could come out of a woman's mouth. Mm. We just need that reset on that bit of education around women, what they've got to offer in sport and see how we go. But I <sighs> wish I hadn't seen what I've seen, but, yeah, it's certainly there. It's nearly time for me to get out of here. I've got to go and get my thumbs massaged ahead of the AFL-M season beginning and AFLW finals. There's going to be a lot of flicking of my remote control from the couch this weekend. But before we get out of here, final business. Julia, anything from you? Yes, so we've started to see some signings for the expansion clubs. Excitingly, Sydney have uh, signed one of their academy products in Ruby Sergeant Wilson. And we've also seen Essendon sign uh, their video... VFLW captain for the last few years, an absolute superstar of their VFLW program, Georgia Nanskowen. Now I look forward to next year when we have the pronunciation video from the players again and I will watch out for Georgia's name and if I've pronounced it wrong, I'm sorry. (laughs) Hook it to my veins, the new (laughs) signing content. Anyway, every time I see a club polo and a smiley face, I'm in tears. Nick, any final business from you? Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? We had a really big milestone. We've had a whole bunch of 50s in the last couple of weeks, 50 games um, amongst players. But we have also had this last round 10 of the season the first AFLW coach to coach 50 games, the fabulous Craig Starsevich, who can we call him a friend of the pod? Like he messages us sometimes, yes. doesn't he? Who do we call a friend of the pod? Like Elon Musk is a fr- Aristotle. <laughs> like I think, feel like any of us could be a friend of the pod. But he's dead, so we can't argue. But anyway, that's all right. We're going with it, Craig. Hopefully Craig, let us not- know. You send us a text. <laughs> yeah. Look, he's just such a. Firstly, he's one of the only um, original inaugural coaches uh, for the AFLW. He's been there from the start. That's what inaugural means. I just think he's such a representative of the great culture at Brisbane with Bree Brock there as well, um, just creating a really strong, stable environment for players and for the coaching staff. They were decimated, I think it was what, 2018, 2019 at one point and lost, you know, like, I don't know, 10, 15 players in one hit, including their marquee player, Sabrina Frederick at the time. But they just quietly rebuilt and he's accomplished of those 50 games, 32 wins, four finals campaigns and, you know, that little premiership last year, which <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to follow up with a second one. What I love about Craig Stasevich is he's just a really genuine, thoughtful and fierce advocate for women's football, particularly in Queensland. And he, you know, when he has reached out to us, it's not usually in defence of Brisbane or anything he's done. It's about in support of women's football in Queensland and advocating 
for you know the depth and the reach and just the quality of the game and the support that they're getting so he's a hero of the AFLW I think and shout out to him and congratulations absolutely and you said there's been heaps of 50s in the last couple of weeks and I Julia and I of course because we're super wealthy capitalist pigs thought of $50 notes and then I thought of pineapples and then I thought of Queensland Brisbane Craig Starsevich so in my defense it all kind of flowed I came full circle on your pineapple so happy pineapple Craig Stasevich. And this weekend, all I've got to say is that we saw a couple of retirements. I think we'll see a couple more, maybe maybe less with an August start. Who knows? But we're coming up to retirements. We're coming up to trade season and poaching from those four pesky new clubs. So as we say every single year, hug your loved ones. There's only one thing left to say, and that is... Go, go footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.